Broadcasting to New York City, Los Angeles, Chicago, Sydney, London, and around the world, this is Trumpet Radio Live. Thanks for joining us today on Trumpet Radio Live here on 101.3 KPCG. Coming up on this Tuesday edition, some interesting headlines to take a look at. Uh, sports notes that actually tie into uh, some bigger social issues that uh, I think are worth taking a look at. Also preview uh, what's on the Trumpet.com and the Trumpet Daily Radio Show today. Interesting historical note. And we're going to look at one of the keys to uh, understanding the Bible, proving the authority of it, which is essential to do. That and more coming up on this edition of Trumpet Radio Live. This is Trumpet Radio Live. Thanks for joining us here on Trumpet Radio Live. We're at 101.3 KPCG and online we're at kpcg.fm. A live link at thetrumpet.com as well. And uh, if you'd like to follow us on Twitter, please do that at kpcgfm. And you can send emails to comments at kpcg.fm. And we're happy to take a look at those. I'm Dwight Falk, Grant Turgeon here today as well. Uh, Grant, I meant to ask you something yesterday. I forgot. I'm going to ask you now. The um, you went to the football game on uh, Sunday in Kansas City, the Chiefs and the Bills. Uh, the anthem protests—that's a big issue. Uh, did you were people protesting, or how did that go? Uh, actually, we tried to get into the stadium starting at eleven thirty, but the lines were so big that we had to pretty much run to our seats, and we barely saw kickoff. So I didn't actually see any of it. I was ca- kind of glad I didn't see it because it probably would have irritated me for a while. Yeah, that's. I think the networks have kind of gone away from showing it <laughs> one way or the other because it's just irritating a lot of people i couldn't hear any booing though from the outside so maybe maybe it's died down or maybe people just weren't paying attention uh it definitely didn't seem like it was much of an issue i didn't hear anyone around us ever mention it the whole time uh, when we were sitting and watching the game either well maybe that's moved on that uh, whole situation but who knows uh, the reason i was wondering is uh the president sent another tweet today uh, kind of about the nfl and how their their um, viewership is declining because of these anthem protests and that they don't have control of the organization like they should. So I I hadn't thought much about it lately, and then I saw that uh, headline, and I thought, oh, I wonder if that's still a big thing and if you had saw it you know, being there. I did definitely wonder about that and was kind of disappointed we didn't get in there faster. You, you would think if you get into line to get into the stadium half hour before the game starts, you might go through a little bit faster, but... Everyone decided to try to enter the stadium at the same time. It seems like so we didn't we didn't necessarily see any of it. Uh, but yeah, I, I could definitely understand why people would lose interest over an issue like that. Just thinking immediately how glad I was not to have seen it. Definitely, it's it's something that's on pretty much every fan's mind at this point. Yeah, interesting. Uh, we have a couple of sports notes today too that are uh, they highlight some bigger issues in society. And this first one really highlights the the power of the mob. We're seeing that, I think, develop more in uh, particularly the West and in the U.S. where some movement will start or something will happen online and all of a sudden uh, big decisions are made about people's jobs or careers or lots of things just because the mob's upset. And uh, so this happened uh, recently. This is a write-up from the Bleacher Report. It says, how a fan revolt took down a million-dollar deal 
early Sunday, Tennessee signed, this is the University of Tennessee now, signed a memorandum of understanding with Greg Schiano uh, to announce him as the next head coach of the Volunteers, a football team, according to Pete Thamel of Yahoo Sports. So big day for him, a big contract. Widespread backlash ensued soon thereafter, including citing Shiano's mention in a deposition related to Jerry Sandusky's scandal. You might remember that from a few years back. Jerry Sandusky was involved with Penn State, and he was convicted of a lot of crimes against young people. Terrible situation. Anyway, this other guy, Greg Shiano, is somewhat mentioned with that, but nothing was ever proven that he did anything. But about 100 people protested on the Knoxville campus, and so the university backed out of the agreement based upon the protests. Yeah, it's a really interesting situation. Um, you can kind of see why people might get worked up a little bit, but I also don't think they should have that much power to influence a hiring decision. If, if nothing's ever proven, can't you throw out a lot of allegations about people and get a lot of people uh, at least in trouble uh, under the public eye? It's, it's pretty easy to say, well, he was involved in this or allegedly he did this and then you could ruin someone's career that way yeah and i think that's the concern is um there again nothing was proven or he's not in any sort of legal trouble and uh in a 2015 deposition when they were going through the whole penn state situation uh, one of the assistant coaches said that this uh, gentleman greg shano he maybe he he knew something or he witnessed something but nothing ever came out about it uh, where it was proven. And so he just moved on, and he's been working since in other jobs. Maybe there's an issue there. Maybe there's not. But the the, the interesting point of this story is that, um, as Bleacher Report uh, points out, once the narrative emerged, there was no controlling it. And they said critics quickly left their keyboards and took to the streets. Protesters stormed the campus to fight the hiring. Tennessee politicians publicly admonished the hiring, and someone even painted a giant rock on campus to read something pretty inappropriate. I won't read what it says. Anyway, it was against the this potential coach. And so the, the point that they bring out in the article, I think it's a good point, is, okay, maybe he isn't qualified like as far as his coaching acumen. Maybe he's not great. That would be worth talking about. But to cost somebody a job because of an accusation that hasn't been proven in any way and to have the kind of the mob rise up and and, uh, and cost a guy his job, that's something to maybe be concerned about. I mean, couldn't that turn on anybody, that sort of mob mentality? Yeah, because it is a really murky situation what happened at Penn State. Obviously, there was a child molester who was there, and he was getting away with some pretty terrible things. But that doesn't mean that every single person on the coaching staff knew about it and was, you know, sending children his way or, or covering it up. Uh you know, maybe maybe you hear a whisper here and there, but you're you're focused on your job, and and you might not uh, dig into it like you should because you you think you can trust your fellow coach in that situation. So to to then, uh, I guess, riot because of some allegations that someone may or may not have known about what another criminal, evil human being was doing, uh, it seems a bit extreme. It doesn't seem like that is. Uh, something a, a trend that we want to set or a precedent that we want to set because again you could accuse anybody of anything and it's pretty difficult to know uh, what the truth is in a situation like that yeah there are already laws in place to deal with situations like this if there's something going on it, it can be brought up and then you know the courts would decide and they did look pretty thoroughly i think at that whole situation at penn state and this this guy wasn't 
convicted of anything. Well, remember that that coach Joe Paterno, the famous yeah. coach at Penn State, was even his his name was tarnished because they said, well, he he must have known about it as well. I mean, the guy's what was wasn't he in his nineties? I mean, he's not going to be aware of every single thing that's going on when you when you have to be in charge of like you know sixty or seventy college guys on a football team you're not going to notice every little thing that's going on in the background and yet his name was tarnished he got smeared for that you know just because someone you work with does something wrong doesn't mean that everyone else should automatically know about it now there are times when like with the hollywood situation there are probably are a lot of people who knew about it um and we have seen proof of that but in this case it doesn't seem like there's very much proof at all that anyone knew anything about it and it, it gets to the a point that's brought out in a uh, it's actually a Trumpet Daily program uh, titled "America and the Rule of Law" by uh, Stephen Fleury. You can watch it at thetrumpet.com. And it says this: uh, the the synopsis: When the law is ignored and the rule of law is destroyed, the nation descends into a state like the nightmarish period of the judges in ancient Israel, when every man did that which was right in his own eyes. And you can see that in Judges seventeen six and twenty one twenty five. The end results of that way of thinking are tragic. So that's that's a time we're in where everyone's doing what's right in their own eyes. And and this sort of mob shows up and says, we want this guy gone. Well, based upon what? <laughs> and you do have the power to get, get rid of somebody just because you're angry or you feel like you should or whatever the case might be. Uh, I, I, I don't think anybody really wants to live in a society where the mob rules because it can turn on anybody. And they're not looking at facts, so they're not going through the legal system. They're just they're going to riot and protest and cause problems until they get their way. Uh, and that totally does away with the rule of law, and now it's the rule of the mob. And even the media is <laughs> a little bit nervous about this sort of situation. Even the sports commentators are kind of like, well, this seems like it's a bit of an odd situation because – you know, the mob can turn on anybody and cost you, what, your job, maybe more. Uh, that's a scary thing. Exactly, because there was a detailed investigation into this. Uh, n- he was never charged with any crimes or really accused of very much, yet you have so many people storming a campus and changing a hiring decision. Now, if he did know, which there's no way of really figuring out if he did, uh, certainly that's not a good thing. But to just accuse him and then overreact like that, uh, that that's that's not a trend you want to set in any way. You, do, you don't want to start having people uh, fired because of someone whispering something about you. That, that really is a, a dangerous way to go in this country. And, and like you said, it is all about the rule, the rule of law. The mob doesn't care about the rule of law. They want to go on a rampage. They want to emotionally overthrow anything they disagree with, regardless of of what the truth is. They already did an investigation into this, and and he was cleared, basically. What about um, innocent to proven guilty? Right. That, isn't that something we'd all hope for? And, you know, it's interesting. The people that are out there, say, in this case, protesting, um, did they have some inside information? Do they know? I mean, how do they know that this guy's guilty of, you know, some other issues? Wouldn't we all hate to be in that exact same situation where, you know, someone out of the dozens or hundreds of people we work with does something wrong and then all of a sudden by association you are then guilty a lot of us have our own we're living our own lives we have personal lives we're doing our own thing we, we're not around other people 24 hours a day to know everything they've ever done wrong and to be able to expose them for it that's 
No one does that unless that's your job as like a private detective. You're not going to be searching out what your coworkers are doing and figuring out every little thing they've done wrong. Yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting situation. And it's kind of funny, too, because at universities, and this has happened before. You remember there was all the uh, outcry about uh, supposed racism on one of the campuses, and they got rid of some of the higher-ups at uh, one of the colleges. I think Missouri? It was Missouri. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's it's amazing. Uh, those those companies, those colleges, they hire people to make hiring and firing decisions. Like, that's their job. It's not the job of the mob to right. determine those sorts of things like Colleges have um, athletic directors to decide those things. And here you have to base your, you know, every uh, every sports team has got lots of fans. To, are they supposed to just listen to the fans' whim, <laughs> <laughs> you know, about hiring and firing or benching and playing? We, maybe we'd like that sometimes, but that that starts to just become, you know, mob mentality, and then it, a lot of things break down, I think. Society breaks down. Absolutely. Uh, we would like it if people listened to every little thing we wanted done with the team. But we're not experts. We're not in that situation. That's not our job. So if it goes wrong, we don't face the repercussions of that wrong decision like the athletic director at the university would for trying to hire Greg Schiano. Now, it's definitely a different discussion whether he should have hired him. Just from a PR standpoint, if there are other candidates who don't have um, any questions about a situation like that, Maybe it is a little safer. Maybe you do avoid the backlash and the outrage that came with this mob. But if he has done the research and he has seen that there doesn't seem to be any substantiation to these accusations, well, that's his job. That's his responsibility, not the mob's responsibility to then just go hang him, basically. Right, because, I mean, we all have uh, bosses and and, uh, people that uh, we work for in most cases. And if a huge or a group of people came to our boss and said, you need to get rid of this guy and here's why, you'd, you'd at least appreciate a chance to, like, state your case. <laughs> we, you know, we just don't like this guy. Get him out of here. So anyway, I, I think it's just interesting to see how that sort of that mob mentality is taking over. And we've seen that happen, uh, of course, in Hollywood and other places. And in most, a lot of cases, yeah, maybe people do need to go because they've been doing some things illegally. But even there... Do you just get rid of somebody because the mob says so or because you have an investigation and you find out that, yes, they broke the law and the rule of law says this is what happens? That's the issue. We're not looking at the rule of law in these cases. It's just the knee-jerk reaction to the mob. And, uh, again, you get away from the rule of law and you get into the rule of of a dictator, really. And uh, that's a horrible place to be. Yes, and it does seem like a lot of the mob has quite a bit of leverage because there are boosters, people who give a substantial amount of money to the college that they graduated from. So a lot of these these, uh, boosters for Tennessee probably were threatening to withdraw their funding. Uh, A lot of... of, athletic directors or university heads are going to be listening to those people with money. And so, yeah, I guess you are free to withdraw your support of a university, but to basically make it an emotional mob mentality and start threatening or holding money over the head of somebody, that's a little bit extreme. It doesn't seem like we need to have uh, that type of behavior Again, it was investigated. He didn't do anything wrong. He's not abusing children. There, someone he worked with did, and that's not the, the fault of everyone else around that person. Interesting uh, situation there for that uh, coach that uh, didn't get the job in Tennessee. So uh, <laughs> not good to have your name out there in a bad way in this day and age. Mm. Uh, here's another story that's interesting, and this uh, highlights 
again, just the problems you see in the Middle East and why they can't come to peace over there. An Iranian wrestler throws his match to avoid an Israeli. This is from a New York Times write-up. Small situation, you know, in some ways, but it highlights a bigger issue. It says, the Iranian wrestler was cruising through the match looking like a sure bet to defeat his Russian opponent. But suddenly, as if suffering an injury, he fell to the mat and was thrown around the ring like a rag doll by the surprised Russian. That'd be odd. You know, you're wrestling a guy and he's really giving it to you and all of a sudden you're like, wow, uh, he's I can do whatever I want. The tie this turn. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, the match ended and the referee pronounced the Russian the winner. But the Iranian wrestler was not injured. As Iranian news outlets reported on Tuesday, he said his real problem was that his coach had told him to throw the match to avoid facing an Israeli opponent in the next round of the tournament. In Iran's hardline ideology, Israel is not recognized as a state, and Supreme Leader Ayatollah Ali Khamenei often refers to the country as a cancerous tumor. Iranian athletes are forbidden to compete with Israelis in any sport, and if necessary are told to forfeit their matches or to feign sickness. You can just see the way Iran feels about Israel. They're never going to have peace over there as long as Iran's the king. And that that uh, policy runs counter to common sense because in a physical sport like wrestling, what, wouldn't you want to be able to throw your opponent around? Like if you if you hated Israel so much and you had a chance to face an Israeli, it would seem like you'd want to get your hands on someone like that. But they kind of go the opposite direction and... and it's only hurting them. I mean, they're losing the competition because they won't compete anymore. Uh, I don't know. It doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. Um, it, it is pretty clear, though, how they think. It is pretty clear whose fault it is that they can't get along in the Middle East. If the Islamic states over there, the, the Muslim states over there, would just uh, stop being so hostile and aggressive, they could have peace today. Yeah, they could, absolutely, because Israel's been more than willing to have peace but uh, Iran certainly doesn't want it, even down to something as simple as a wrestling match, and they refuse to wrestle the Israeli. Uh, you need to go back and watch the Key of David program from November the 10th. Iran, king of the Middle East, and talks about how America has pushed the Islamic State out of Iraq, but another nation will seize power and trigger a third world war. You know, they are just, uh, well, as it says here in this New York Times piece, um, Khomeini over there has said that, Israel's a cancerous tumor. You're not going to have peace with them. It, it's amazing how uh, Iran is so belligerent, and they make no secret about the fact that they hate Israel and America, and yet, and the West, really, in general. And yet, you know, America's done deals with them, the Obama administration. Uh, uh, the U.K. is doing deals with them to get hostages back. And they just sit there, and they just continue to say, yeah, we, we hate you, we think you're a cancerous tumor, and yet we think somehow we can make deals with these people. It is... You're never going to have peace, obviously. And just think about how how much better off they were, what was it, 30, 40 years ago when they were still under the Shah of Iran. Uh, they, Or I guess it was more like a Persian empire back then. They were highly, uh, uh, I guess, uh, they were really, really friendly toward the West. They had incredible culture, uh, a lot of brilliant history on display, uh, and and now they just have been overthrown by radicals and the Shah was deposed back in 1979. Have they, have they advanced in any way or have they almost time traveled back to the dark ages where they're just 
barbarian they're so they're so filled with brutish hatred at this point you can't do deals with them you can't expect them to ever change their mind they want to push israel into the mediterranean sea they say that all the time and yet our ignorant leaders say that we could still do a deal with them it's a really good point the uh there's a lot of great things in that persian culture um and and there was some some wonderful things but yet those people are being held hostage they're being held hostage by uh, their leadership over there, and because it's so radical, and um, and so you know you you have to feel bad even for them. I mean, even the wrestler himself, he was really disappointed because he said, "Well, I worked really hard," and this is the second time he's done this, mm-hmm. and apparently he's quite good and should probably be you know the the winner in a lot of these matches, I guess. And uh, but he's had to throw two matches because the government says he can't face an Israeli. Now he takes the, the government line and says, "Well, they're oppressing the Palestinians." <laughs> but still, the poor guy, you know, he wants a chance to compete too, and he can't because of the radical ideology. You know, imagine over here in the U.S. if the same thing happened. If somebody pulled out of a match and said, "Well, I won't wrestle them because of their race," mm. people would be outraged. But that's what they're doing there in Iran, and we give them a pass. It's it's like they are held to a completely different standard. Uh, because they are supposedly being oppressed by the nation of Israel over there, they can get away with any type of cruelty or bigotry that they want. It, it is amazing how we have certain sets of standard standards for certain groups of people, and then a completely unattainable, way too high standard for basically the Anglo-Saxon white peoples in any nation. I mean, really, it, it is just ridiculously outrageous how much higher the standard is and. Just just in terms of the worldview, I mean, it's it's not like anyone's reaching that type of a standard, but it's like they expect perfection from the whites, and they let other groups do anything they want. And that's a constantly changing scale, you yeah. know, what perfection would be. Well, there is an attack against America. There's a really great book on the trumpet about that. There's an attack against the West. There's an attack against uh, the Anglo-Saxons, as you said. I mean, there just is everywhere you look, and uh, there's some real power behind that attack. So you have to understand more about that at thetrumpet.com. But uh, again, while you've got Iran as the king there in the Middle East, uh, there's not going to be peace. You can talk all day. You can deal and wheel and do whatever you want and give them pallets of cash. Uh, They're not going to be deterred from trying to wipe out Israel. Yeah, it's almost like we expect their ideology to change just because we sat down with them at the negotiating table. If if their book tells them to bring about their version of the Messiah through as much violence as possible, no matter how much money we give them, no matter how many times we say nice things about them or give them an opportunity to uh, develop their nuclear program, those ideolo- ideologies, those ideas, their goals are not going to change because of that. Their their goals are far deeper than any conversation we could have with them. Yeah, they're, they're very... Uh very much focused on their uh, their own thinking over there. The uh, Trumpet.com today, the top story is uh, this. Is Germany's election crisis fake news? That's by Richard Palmer. Germany has a new solution for its election problems. While major news outlets say there's nothing to worry about, is everything fine in Germany? And related to that, uh, another write-up is Germany's political crisis over. So that kind of comes and goes from the headlines, but obviously there are some uh, some real problems there in uh, Germany's government, uh, although they are trying to, uh, I guess, say um, nothing to see here, <laughs> but they're still having some difficulties uh, uh, getting all on the same page. There's a lot of different uh, thoughts about what to do in, in relation to uh, Europe in general, the EU. What, what do you do you know, with the Brexit? What do you do with uh, 
uh, the immigration problems. Uh, so uh, there are some real serious issues that haven't been uh, sorted out yet. And it's hilarious that the media is trying to call this fake news when you have you're trying to have a coalition in Germany that ha- has parties that basically hate each other. They believe that they believe the total opposites. Some of them are far to the left in certain issues. Some of them are far to the right on those same issues. How can you ever bring together different political parties like that that won't compromise that are far to the ideology? ideological spectrum on either end uh, they do have a lot of trouble and Angela Merkel is trying to somehow bring all these different parties I think it's three or four is it four exactly. together and, and it's just not it's not a stable ruling coalition it's probably the weakest she's ever been in all of her time as chancellor uh, that definitely is something to be concerned about but the media would just have you believe that oh it's totally fine keep voting for her every time she comes up for re-election because uh, this is our vision for Germany. Don't don't look at the results of her policies. Just think about how nice the ideas sound on the surface. Right, and even if they, they do, you know, put something together for a short term, uh, you know, there's going to be a lot of just animosity in that government. I mean, it, it, people don't uh, when you when you have such strong, strongly uh, opposing ideas, it's very hard to let those go. You know, maybe, maybe they'll come to some sort of an agreement, uh, you know, but what happens when the next terror attack happens or what happens when the there's an issue, say, with uh, something in the European Union there? Um, then the finger pointing starts, right? So it's going to be interesting to see. But anyway, that's an interesting write-up there at thetrumpet.com, top story today. Also, the Trumpet Daily Radio Show with your host, Stephen Fleury, talks a lot today about the, uh, the upcoming royal wedding that... Uh, well, there's mixed opinion on that. I think most people are excited. Some people are saying, I don't like this idea so much. But uh, he talks about that today on the Trump Daily Radio Show. Uh, there's a Spectator article that he mentions where um, they had a few things to say that not everybody loved. They said Meghan uh, uh, Merkel is unsuitable as Prince Harry's wife for the same reason that uh, Wallace Simpson was unsuitable. She's divorced and Harry's grandmother is Supreme Governor of the Church of England. Uh, so they bring that up, and uh, people uh, shot that down. Many, many people in the social media mob uh, didn't like that. Uh, matter of fact, one person even tweeted the hashtag Team Divorce, Divorcee, I believe. You know, let's mm. all get on board that. So uh, the the morals of the country have definitely shifted in the last uh, several generations there in the UK. Yeah, I, I know Meghan Markle from that show, Suits. She's probably the most annoying character on there, and that's now who Prince Harry is going to be marrying. I know for a while, at least they were saying he would step away from the royal family if he were going to do that. I'm not sure if that's still the stipulation there, uh, but it does show you um, how they don't take that responsibility as seriously as they should. Prince Harry has also said before that no one in the royal family really wants to be king or queen. They hope that they are not the next person in line because that's just not a responsibility that they would appreciate. That's where we are with the British royal family, and you can see why God is really disappointed with them. Yeah, they have a, uh, of course, a lineage that goes back to uh, King David. And, of course, you need to read, if you haven't read this, United States and Britain and Prophecy that talks about uh, that history. And they're, they're, I guess maybe they don't realize it anymore. They used to. Uh, maybe, they're, maybe they know and they're embarrassed by it. I'm not sure. But uh, they definitely have cast off uh, what they would see as the old-time way of doing things, and they want to be more modern. And so there's there's some interesting things here. The this uh, lady that he's looking to marry, she's mixed race, and uh, 
So some people are praising that aspect of things, but then other people are attacking, uh, are using it as a as a as a uh, way to attack the uh, British royal family and say they're too white. They're all about the whiteness of you know rule and so forth. So it's going. There's going to be a lot of division, I think, that comes from this because it just gives a lot of people an angle to make up you know make a lot of commentary and um, uh, they're trying to become more modern, but at the same time. Uh, it just looks like problems ahead. Yeah, they've they've taken on a lot of causes like trying to fight mental illness. They've been pretty, I guess, pretty permissive in a lot of their moral stances. I, I think it was uh, Prince William who was cohabiting with his uh, with his girlfriend before she became his wife, and that was a public thing. That was also praised. You can just see that the standards not very high anymore. They're not that beacon of hope that 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 that, that they should be at this point. They're not. Um, they're not holding up the right moral standard. They're not. Uh, they're not really giving the people a, a great example to look to right now. And maybe some people think that that's great. You know, integrating the races is great, or cohabiting is great. All these other things. Uh, maybe they think that partying like an animal, like Prince Harry has done, is great as well. But it's not, and nothing is going to change that. There's right and wrong, and the moral, the royal family has just decided to do what's wrong in almost every case lately. Well, and again, I think it, it gets back to mob rule, right? I mean, they're, they're saying, well, uh, British society is saying you need to be more modern, so we're going to be more modern. Well, that's the mob ruling. Shouldn't the leaders say, no, actually, we need to go the other direction because we're having problems? And that point's brought out on the Trumpet Daily Show. I mean, what about being a leader and bucking the trend and saying, no, I don't care what the mob's doing. I don't care if you think it's right. I know that's not right, and I'm going to go a different direction. Now, that's somebody that a person, you know, a country could rally around. Uh, if Winston Churchill didn't take a stand and say we're going to fight, they would have probably surrendered. Mm-hmm. Somebody's got to take a stand. And instead you see the, the mob ruling and saying, yeah, let's be more modern. Let's cast off all rule, all law, and, uh, and the royal family's following suit. Who would have ever thought we would have seen the royal family descend to the level of the people like this the last couple of decades? It is a shocking decline. And that's, again, that's not what a role model is. A role model is someone who has such a high standard that you try to aspire to reach their level. They shouldn't be going down to the level if the British people are declining morally and then their top role models are then going down to that level as well well they're no longer role models they're no longer an inspiration they're no longer something to aspire to because pretty much they're already on the same level it just is so it's so backward and disappointing now to see that example and they're not even trying to hide it you'd have to wonder what the queen must think because she's in her 90s right i mean she's she has seen a lot of changes and very few of those changes have been good it's a interesting situation there. There's a write-up that I saw in relation to uh, Meghan Markle there, and it said that uh, they're talking about her mixed race and, and this, oh, I think it's a college professor, associate professor of sociology at uh, Birmingham City University, uh, wrote this thing saying, you know, well, they're not, they're going to downplay her, her other race. Uh, they're just going to try to make her out to be white, and that's a problem, they think. They say the royal family is really strongly a symbol of British Empire whiteness. Yeah, the British Empire is white. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Russia, they're Russian, right? Africa's African. I mean, exactly. <laughs> empires do have particular races, generally speaking. Yeah, that's the most confounding part of this right now because they're trying to get rid of the the race of the royal family. I mean, 
that was that was like the patriarch Abraham in the Bible. He was considered perfect in his generations because he was of a pure racial strain. That's how God always intended it to be. And so even if you're talking about a, a line of African princes, you would expect them all to be black. You wouldn't just think that, oh, we could just mix some white people in here and that's fine. The more pure the race is, the, the more uh, straight the, the line of uh, genealogy is, uh, the more, I guess, the more official it is and the more admirable it is. Yeah, no one ever complains about, you know, like China being too Chinese. Yeah. That's what they are. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> yeah, but for some reason, and well, it's not just for some reason, it's because Satan's attacking that royal family, but see, now now they've interjected this whole racial issue as well, and there's already today three, four, five, six, seven write-ups that are just all out there saying, well, let's let's start talking about race here a little bit. Uh, it's gonna. It's not going to unify people. It's going to cause more division, and th- we've seen it in this country, and you'll see it over there too. The more you try to integrate, the more division there is. It's very true. But remember, white people invented slavery and colonialism and imperialism. So we have to tear down that race at any cost. We have to talk about actively undermining their family and their families, so that other races can, I guess, supposedly catch up. Is what they're they're trying to say uh it, it is a ridiculous way of thinking if we're all human beings the race of us should be a pretty trivial issue but again it is always at the forefront of all these social issues tearing down the whites building up everyone else and there's really no no good reason for that no other than uh than a really a satanic attack there and that's talked about in quite a few write-ups including america under attack and then just to get good history of that british royal family uh the united states and britain and prophecy you need to uh, read that as well so gonna be interesting to see uh you're listening to trumpet radio live here on 101.3 kpcg today is november the 28th and here is something that happened on this day in history speaking of the uk in 1990 on this day margaret thatcher resigned as prime minister of britain she was the Prime Minister of the United Kingdom from 1979 to 1990, leader of the Conservative Party from 1975 to 1990, and she was the longest-serving British Prime Minister of the 20th century and the first woman to have been appointed. A Soviet journalist dubbed her the Iron Lady because she had a real strong stand against communism, a nickname that became associated with her uncompromising politics and leadership style. And then um, so on this day in 1990, she uh, resigned as Prime Minister the real legacy of Margaret Thatcher, the Trumpet.com points out, is that she understood that if you unify Europe, uh, Germany is going to end up ruling. And really, people, that's the, the main thing people didn't like about what she said, is or what she did, especially at that time period, is she warned uh, about the dangers of unifying Germany together and then Europe around them. She always said the priority should be anchoring Germany to Europe and not the other way around where Europe is anchored to Germany. But sure enough, what we've seen is Germany is at the center. The rest of Europe is anchored to Germany and goes wherever Germany does. Germany is totally dominating Europe now. Uh, that's what she warned against because she knew her history. It's pretty simple. They The Germans started World Wars One and Two. That doesn't mean that uh, you have to hate the German people, but you have to acknowledge that they are capable of causing some destruction under the right leadership, uh, the right leadership, if you could call it that. Uh, she knew the history. She knew that the the pattern is there and you just sim- simply have to watch out for it that shouldn't be an offensive thing to talk about yeah you can listen to these words that she uh said in a 1995 meeting she was talking with former french president francois Mitterrand uh and former u.s president uh george h.w bush and uh, mikhail gorbachev and so she said this and see if this hasn't come to pass to some extent she said to unify germany 
would make her the dominant nation in the European community. They are powerful. They are efficient. Mitterrand, and I know, she said, we have sat there at the table with Germany very often indeed. Germany will use her power. She will use the fact that she is the largest contributor to Europe to say, look, I put more money in than anyone else, and I must have my way on things which I want. Have we not seen that happen in many, many cases? Absolutely. We, there's a financial crisis there in Europe. Germany comes and bails people out and says, that's great, we'll bail you out, but here's our conditions. And really any other nation in that position would try to do the same thing. I mean, if, if um, you know, like in, in the, for the example of uh, North America, America does contribute the most over there. And so now you see President Trump saying that uh, we should have the advantage in the trade deals with Mexico and Canada. That's just common sense because if you do put in the most money and the most work, you're going to ask for the most back. The problem is when, when it's Germany doing that uh, is that we've seen what they can cause when they have that much power. At one time uh, after World War II, they were split down the middle, East and West Germany, and that way they at least were controlled. Uh, of course, East Germany was controlled by the communists. You don't necessarily want them having too much power either. But it was almost like when the wall came down, there was no real counterbalance anymore. Uh, so, so I guess there's a good thing that communism collapsed, but at the same time, you're able to then unify Germany, which has started two world wars. It's pretty difficult in that situation as a world leader probably to figure out what the right option would have been. Yeah, she uh, knew what was coming uh, with Germany being unified. She also said that some people say you have to anchor Germany to Europe to stop these features from coming out again, being the, the German war-making machine. She said, well, you have not anchored Germany to Europe, but Europe to a newly dominant Germany. That is why I call it a German Europe. And that's true. I mean, and she said that back in 1995. People didn't like that, of course. Um, but not only is Germany the most dominant nation in Europe, in some cases, people kind of look at them and say, you know, really, if not the most dominant, they should be the uh, example for the world today. Like, you know, look at, look at their policies and look at, look at their economy and, and look at uh, the way they, they're, you know, so open in integrating all these societies. They're the hope of the, the, hope of the West and the world. Um, you might want to check your history books on that because that, that doesn't end well. Yeah, that's true. And and a lot of people who think they should be like the moral compass for the world are very ignorant of history or they're just trying to sweep it aside. They think that history is irrelevant at this point because, after all, we're in the 21st century. But the, nothing else matters anymore because we're all too sophisticated for another world war, apparently. Uh, that's obviously not true. Human nature has not changed in any way except to get worse. And so if human nature allowed us to have uh, gigantic, massive, destructive world wars 70 years ago, we could definitely do it all over again. Who caused those wars? It was obviously Germany. So why would we want them to have the same type of power? And we've also seen how smart they've been in amassing that power, uh, saying, well, we should have uh, a European economic union. Uh, we should maybe coordinate our finances so that we have the same currency maybe we could start uh letting people go across the borders and, and live in anywhere in europe uh more freely and easily uh, but then eventually it's almost like well uh this nation in europe needs help why why can't germany come to our aid and, and give us some defense and then it then it becomes well why can't germany then go on the attack in some cases if if it's necessary and so you just keep on seeing the building, the amassing of this power 
to where most of the world hasn't noticed it because it's taken many decades to get to this point. Yeah, it's a very uh, hidden empire, as is brought out on one of the most recent Key of David programs. So go back and watch that as well. And uh, there's some good writers on the trumpet also just about how, you know, they can put together a European military pretty quickly. And uh, all of a sudden, that's a pretty formidable force. So, And with all the political turmoil going on there, that ties into a lot of uh, biblical prophecies as well. So uh, interesting historical note on this day, 1990, Margaret Thatcher resigned as prime minister of Britain. And uh, there's some thought that she was, you know, forced out in a certain way because she was against the uh, reunifying of Germany, at least in terms of then uh, the way it was being done and anchoring Europe really to it. And uh, people didn't like that. So it's interesting. If you read about her history, though, people don't really mention that part of it. They say, well, you know, they didn't like what she did with the economy and they didn't like this and that. And there might be something to that. But um, she was standing up against that uh, European Union that revival of the what is the Holy Roman Empire, and uh, they did not like that, the powers that be. She probably was forced out of office, and then remember what it was like when she died a few years ago. It, it was almost like Barack Obama made a point not to attend the memorial service. Uh, other leaders did the same thing. There were people who were rejoicing in the streets and, and even um, spraying different graffiti to just talk about how hateful she was. Uh, she really was smeared, and a lot of people were happy that she died, which is just a terrible way to react to anyone dying, but especially someone like that who presided over the last time of greatness in the, the British Empire. Yeah, she they make a point in her uh, talking about her history and just how she went and uh, made sure that the Falkland Islands stayed with them and that she believed that, look, if, if there are you know, uh, UK citizens there that want to be part of that, the, uh, uh, the United Kingdom and they have their flag, the flag flying and they are the leaders of that country, then she would defend them. And, uh, you, you don't see that today. Everyone's backpedaling and, and, uh, embarrassed by the empire that was, but she wasn't that way. So interesting uh, note. Uh, we're talking this week about a really great reprint article on the authority of the Bible. And as we were talking about yesterday, you know, anything we talk about here on the radio, on KPCG, you know, ultimately it uh, gets back to the authority of the Bible and what, what the Bible says. And uh, so the question would be, well, what, you know, what authority does the Bible have? So that's what we're looking at this week. And uh, in particular today, we're starting to look at the uh, seven keys to understanding the Bible. Herbert W. Armstrong wrote about this, and there are keys to understanding it. And he says, do you realize that God has purposely closed much of the Holy Bible from human understanding until now? Look at the pitiful spectacle, he says. Hundreds of different sects and denominations, all confused and mixed up, each with its own different ideas, beliefs, and practices, all disagreeing as to what the Bible says, and none understanding its full, true message. And he says, why is that the case? Well, because they don't uh, have their minds open to it. They don't have the keys to understanding the Bible. And how much uh, more confusing is it today than even when he was writing uh, a few decades ago? Not only do we have confusion in the Christian world, you have now all these other religions and all these other ideas and modern spirituality and so forth, and uh, really just a lot of chaos and confusion. Yeah, ever since he uh, died, it seems like there have been a whole lot of extra forms of acceptable religious practices. Um, It has become acceptable to engage in witchcraft or Satan worship or say, like you said, saying that you're spiritual, but not necessarily religious. Uh, Those things weren't necessarily uh, considered common practices or acceptable practices back when he died a little over 30 years ago. 
So the, the spectrum of religion is widening. You have all these different confusing, conflicting religions. You can see why people might just disavow religion altogether because you have, you have so many different sects, uh, even just in Christianity, it's, I think it's tens of thousands. Uh, and so when, when you have all these different ones to sift through, probably a lot of people are daunted by the task of finding the one true church, the one true set of beliefs out of all of this other nonsense. Yeah. There's just a lot out there, especially in the internet age, you can find about anything, but it's hard to find the truth. Uh, it's brought out here in this reprint article, which you can get at thetrumpet.com, by the way, on the authority of the Bible, that uh, the Bible can't be fully understood until God opens up the meaning. That's a very important point. Uh, even the prophets inspired in writing the Word of God did not understand much of what they wrote. Daniel records in his last chapter that he says, I heard this, but I did not understand it. And uh, when he asked the meaning of what he was inspired to write, he was told, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed until the time of the end. Or as Moffat uh, translates it, the crisis at the close. You can see that in Daniel twelve eight and nine. So even even people that were writing it, that that would be sort of frustrating, wouldn't it? He was being given a specific message from God to write in the Bible, and he didn't understand it, and uh, asked about it, and was told, "Well, don't worry about it. I'll open it up later." But it just highlights the fact that even even the author couldn't understand it in this case, the human author, until God opened it up, and uh, so. You can't just sit down and say, well, I'm going to understand the Bible today. It's a good thing to read the Bible. It's a beneficial thing. But unless God opens it up, opens the meaning of it, uh, people get very confused by it. Yeah, and so it has been difficult for a lot of people throughout history to grasp what is being taught in the Bible. But the good news is it has been unlocked, almost all of it, in the last century or so uh, under Mr. Herbert W. Armstrong. And continuing now with the, the Philadelphia Church of God today, there is a way to, to dis- discover what the Bible is talking about, what the keys to understanding it are, how to study it so that you can make sense of the different doctrines and the different belief systems. Uh, it, it is really nice to be alive at a time when you have full access and understanding of the Bible. But ha- the, the problem is a lot of people uh, don't care about that as much because of all the other modern distractions that we have. Yeah, there's a... Uh a free Bible correspondence course. You can get the Herbert W. Armstrong College Bible correspondence course. You can get that at thetrumpet.com. It's free. Sign up for that. And that takes you step-by-step through understanding the Bible. But there's a really important point here, too, about understanding the Bible that is also mentioned in Daniel. Uh, It says, The wicked shall do wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand. So that's what it comes down to in terms of can people understand the Bible or not. God has to open it up. He has to reveal it. Uh, he has to open people's minds. But then there's a group that won't understand, and there's a group that will understand. And that's where it comes. what it comes down to, wicked or wise. <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> well, it says, since the very word of God reveals that sin is the transgression of the law, you can see that in 1 John 3 and verse 4, those who encourage the breaking of God's law, teaching that it is done away, as nearly all sects and denominations do, are in Bible terminology the wicked. And who are the wise? Who shall understand? Well, it's those that keep God's law. That's what it comes down to. So if you have a group saying, you don't need to keep that law, they're not going to understand the Bible. They can't, according to what the Bible itself says. Yeah, that they've basically closed their own minds to understanding what they could easily understand. And like we talked about yesterday, why wouldn't you want to know the truth? Why wouldn't you want to live a life where you're completely free of deception? You know the right way to go. 
so many people are choosing to be deceived. That's that's the incredible part of it, and the really sad part of it. Uh, we can we can certainly understand, but again, you do have to be submissive to God. You have to say that oh, whatever's in the Bible, I am going to determine to follow it. I talked about that example yesterday of the Armstrong College students and how they end up. Uh, becoming great employees and then their employers ask for more of those college students to try to uh, work at their their businesses there are other examples of people who just know a little bit of truth and from what they know they're incredibly blessed from it it's in one of the financial booklets that the church offers that story of someone who was tithing and because of that when everyone else's field around him flooded his his field was still producing uh, crops and they, they wondered why it was. Well, if you do give the first of your money to God like he commands, then all of a sudden you get blessed for it. And even if tithing is the only law that you actually know, just by uh, applying what you know from the Bible, you get blessed from just that. Yeah, in, in the U.S. today, one of the problems that we have in general is that a lot of people want an evolving constitution. They want to change it. Well, and it's the same way with religion. Many want a uh, an evolving uh, Bible. Well, that's out of date. You know uh, that doesn't apply today. Uh, it does apply today. Yes, people aren't living that way, but also then people are are uh, you know eating the fruit of their ways, which is all the problems that we see around us. But it is still applicable today, and, and always is. As we mentioned yesterday, Christ Himself said, "The Scripture can't be broken." So I don't care if you live, you know, 10,000 years. It's going to be the same today as it was yesterday. But uh, we see a society moving so far away from that, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> the truth is still the truth. So for those willing to obey the law, God can begin to open people's minds to the truth. Yeah, that's right. And God says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's a scripture in the Bible as well. Uh, that's That just proves to us that uh, our behaviors— uh, should be trying to follow certain laws that God has set in place. Those laws never change. We don't just decide that we have a different moral standard, for example. Just because people are living differently today doesn't mean that God's okay with it. It doesn't mean that uh, we're now allowed to lower our standard because everyone else around us is doing that. God is always the same, and what he expects from his creation is always the same. He expects us to put him first whether, like I said, it's in finances, if it's in our uh, spiritual lives, in our in our time and energy and effort, all those things have to go first to God, and that never changes. The way we live our lives never should be changing just because society dictates different things. Yeah, the Bible is a perfect example of the uh, the mob rule having no effect. <laughs> yeah, it's not gonna. God's not gonna change his laws because people are wanting to break them. Could you imagine him quaking like, "Oh no, they're storming the campus! I have to, <laughs> I have to change laws. my laws now." Not gonna do it. <laughs> uh, the truths of God are revealed through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and God gives His Spirit only to those who obey Him and keep His commandments. And uh, so that is an essential part of it as well. Nobody can just uh, want to, you know, say, I'm going to sit down and understand the Bible today. You have to. <laughs> God has to reveal it. That's a, an important point. But even having that beginning, then, Mr. Armstrong says there are seven keys needed to unlock these closed doors of truth. And so here is key number one. Drum roll, please. The, uh, the true gospel, <laughs> the gospel of Jesus Christ is the gospel that Jesus Christ preached, a message sent from God by Jesus Christ as messenger, the gospel of Christ is Christ's own gospel, not a story about his person. We're in that time of year where people are talking about Christ the person. 
but you don't hear much about Christ's message, which is the gospel message. Yeah, and it is it is pretty confusing why people are are lost when it comes to Christ's message that he preached. Mark chapter 1, that's a gospel account, and it talks about how Christ came into Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. It says it right there. That's exactly what the gospel is. He was proclaiming a coming spiritual kingdom that would rule over the entire earth and eventually the universe. Yet people think, oh, well, mainly we just need to focus on uh, who he was as a human being, whether he had long hair or, you know, all these other little details about his life when everything he lived, everything he did as a human being was to declare his father and to declare that coming kingdom. Yeah, it's it's summed up pretty well here as to what the gospel is. Uh, Mr. Armstrong says it is the good news of the kingdom of God. Uh, the kingdom means government. It is the message of divine government, government by God's laws. It is the uh, prophetic proclamation of the coming world government to rule all nations and bring today's confused, chaotic, and war-weary earth peace and joy. It's powerful, dynamic, vital. It's a living message of God's government, first in individual hearts in God's true church today, but now, uh, or in the world today, but then later all nations internationally and uh, around the world, of course. So it starts out small in uh, God's people today, but that kingdom will expand to the whole world it's law, it's government. You know, it used to be popular years ago, I don't know if it still is, people would say, you know, what would Jesus do? Uh, well, he'd keep his the law, <laughs> his father's law, and then he'd teach about the kingdom of God, and then he's working to bring that actual kingdom to this earth. That's what, that's what he's doing. <laughs> people want to talk about, like, niceties and that type of thing, uh, which, of course, there is a kindness in God's law, but uh, they miss the point that there's a powerful real kingdom that is uh, in formation. Right, and the value of examining what Christ actually did what is is because we actually are supposed to follow that exact same example. We're supposed to do what he did. Uh, he gives us a blueprint for how to conquer Satan in our individual lives. He shows how to treat other people even when they might hate us. He gives us so many guidelines like that, but the whole point of it is to develop character and to eventually be born into that God family just like Christ was. Uh, he died for our sins so that we could then try to become part of that family as well. Otherwise, we would also have to die for our sins and not get even get a chance at eternal life. People get bogged down in a couple details about his life, and they don't take the deeper lessons like it, uh, from it like they should. Right, and uh, as is mentioned here, that gospel message, of course, it does include knowledge about the Savior, high priest and coming king, so of course we need to know about that, but... Uh, it's that message, and it's what he showed there about the way, the true way to salvation. And then this point is really uh, important. It says, there can be no government without laws, and so the true gospel also must proclaim the law of God, which alone can bring peace to the world and success, happiness, and joy to the individual. Was Christ lawless? Did he teach a gospel of lawlessness? Of course not. He taught God's law. He kept it himself, and he taught about this soon-coming kingdom of God established on the law of God. Yeah, some simple logic would show us that Christ would never come away to do uh, come here to do away with his father's law. If he's preaching about a kingdom, what kingdom has there ever been that had no laws? So of course he's going to be talking about keeping law and that same type of law will then be applied in the future. And that's uh, a major key to understanding the Bible. You have to understand what the true gospel is. And, of course, as was pointed out just even before getting into these different keys, people have to be obeying God's law to even begin to understand it. 
and uh, understand the Bible and understand what it teaches. So it's a challenge because we live in a lawless society. You know, even the example of, say, uh, what's happening. Well, you could look at a lot of social issues in the countries or even the royal family there in the U.K. And what do you see? Uh, degradation. It keeps Everything keeps going downward, 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 and nobody's standing up for the law. But when Christ came to this earth, he did stand up for the law of God, and uh, it got him killed. Yeah, and what a what a difference if you compare the British royal family to the way that Christ behaved. The the royal family is basically kowtowing to what the people want, and Christ took a stand, and obviously he suffered for it, but he did the right thing. You, you, there's no admiration in what the royal family is doing right now. You have to understand these uh, keys to uh, open up the Bible. There's uh, seven of them. The first one is the true gospel, and we'll take a look at the rest of them as we uh, head through uh, this week. That's all the time we have for today on uh, Trumpet Radio Live. Make sure you listen for the Kia David program and the Trumpet Daily Radio Show, and also get this reprint article on the authority of the Bible. It's at thetrumpet.com. Uh, thanks for joining us today. Myself, Dwight Falk, and Grant Turgeon. Have a great rest of your day. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Trumpet Radio, 101.3 KPCG.